I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Roka Report podcast in association with the Sunland Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav and I'm back with fantastic news to let you all know that you already probably know anyways, but Sunland are into the playoffs. That was confirmed after a 1-0 win against Morecambe. Even if we had got beat, we would have made it through because of results elsewhere. But thank God we're finally here and I'm glad to finally be able to talk about it because we come here every week talking about, well, you know, we need this to happen, we need that to happen. It's finally been there, done. We know where our fate lies now. We've got to play two games against Chef Wed, and that's it, really. Uh, Join me today is Phil West, as always. Hi, Phil. Hi, Gav. And also with us today is Chris Wynn. You're right, Gav. I, uh, I was just yeah. listening to that, and I'd love to hear if any Sunderland fans heard it first from you there that we got into the playoffs. <laughs> well... There's people who only turn on the radio and things like that, you know. know. Some people are still old school. I don't know. I'm glad you announced it. If if anyone's listening to this and this is the first time you've heard that Sunderland are in the playoffs, please uh, hit us up either by email or on Twitter. Uh, But yeah, Sunderland won 1-0. It wasn't a pretty game. It wasn't a pretty performance. But when are we ever really that pretty under Alex Neil? It was effective. We got a clean sheet. We got the three points. The only major disappointment was that we lost Nathan Broadhead to injury, but given he was in the crowd at the Everton game on Sunday, I'm praying that's good news and that he's allowed to travel about and it's just a little knock that he's taken and they were they were just being um, safe with him. But otherwise, yeah, good three points. That puts us into the playoffs, Phil. Uh, finishing up in fifth position, I think, which uh, Alex Neil talked about this after the game when he talked about the fact that we've had to basically, in his time, hit that two points per game standard, which teams would normally aim for for the automatic promotion spots. We've had to do that just to get into the playoffs, which shows just how good the other teams in them playoff spots are. And it's going to be tough. But I think one thing we've shown, Phil, since Alex Neil came in is we're very resilient, we're hard to beat. And that was evident again at the weekend, wasn't it? Absolutely. Well, the good thing is, you know, it's all over now. You know, we, we don't have to worry about margin for error or dropping points or is this team going to do us a favour, etc., etc. We've secured hmm. our place in the top six and now we can start planning. I was quite happy with the way we played yesterday, to be honest with you, Gav. It wasn't the prettiest game to watch, probably not a game for the purists. And it did have that kind of 
down-tempo end-of-season feel to it, you know, many points during the game, because obviously which, results Which is weird, isn't it? It's weird. I don't know whether... Did Morecambe know that they were going to be safe? Were they, were they pretty content? It was an interesting one. I, I looked and Patson didn't have a single save to make. There wasn't a single yeah. shot on target, which is weird. It was. It was a strange feel to the game, really, in, in many ways. But, you know, regarding Southern, I just felt we went about our business with a minimum of fuss. We were nice and organised, nice and compact. I thought Elliot Embleton played pretty well. I thought the defence was quite functional. Great goal for Broadhead as well. Just a nice drama-free afternoon, Gav. You know, and and you know, I think it was in many ways, especially after the Rotherham game, and there was a little bit more kind of urgency on yesterday's game. But I just thought the way we went about it was really good. There was never any, you know, I never got the sense yesterday that we were in any real danger. And obviously, results going elsewhere, you know, going our way favoured us. So yeah, perfectly happy with it, Gav. You know, like I said, not a game for the purists, but we got the result. And we've achieved our objective, so I'm happy with it. What about you, Chris? You're normally you're normally a bit more level. Me, me, me and Phil are normally the optimists on this pod. You're normally the one who brings us back down to earth. Were you happy with it? Yes, of course I was happy with it. We got in the playoffs. We did what we had to do. But uh, yeah. as a game of football, it was an awful game of football. <laughs> I mean, just, just if you watched how we played, if you focused on the football we played and, you know, in terms of comparing it to free-flowing football or, you know, as we've played in, in periods of season, it was it was awful in terms of the football we played. But it was interesting that that point you raised, Phil, about having kind of that level-headedness about us. I saw Alex Neal's press conference last week before the game and the build-up of the game. It might have been, might have been the day before the game, something like that. And I think there was one of the questions from the, from the journalist saying, is it like a? Is it almost like a cup final? You know, like you've got to get a result and and that's it. And he was like, "No, it's just a game of football. We've just got to get a result." And and the players almost went out like that, didn't they? They they almost went out to kind of keep the tempo as slow as possible because we we didn't want it to be a frenzied game where Morgan could throw the kitchen sink at us. And everything we did was slow. It was measured, and I think the word you could probably use was controlled. The whole performance yeah. was just controlled. And it, even though the football, I think, were, you know, because at times we played some aimless balls to up to Ross Stewart that he had no chance of getting. And I couldn't understand why we were doing it. But the way we controlled Morgan and the way we've controlled teams in many of the last 12, 13 games, you know, that, that this run's been going on for, it, it kind of, in a sense, it bodes well, I think, hopefully for those one-off games like the Morgan one and like these playoff games are going to be. So if we can control the pace that we want to play at, don't allow games to get away from us and become too high-paced or anything like that. We control the tempo. Then, you know, we we might be going in with it with a with a specific plan. But yeah, like like you said, Phil, it, it wasn't for the purest. And I thought as a as a game of football, if you were a neutral watching that, I'm not sure you would have lasted the 90 minutes, to be honest. <laughs> what did you make of the team selection, Phil? It was quite a an experienced lineup as opposed to a to yes. an experimental one that we've seen. Certainly recently, Jay Matete and Trey Hume, they were both dropped to the bench. He opted for Luke O'Nine on the left of defence. There was no place for Callum Doyle in the squad at all. Yeah. I don't know whether that was I don't know whether that was injury or what, but yeah, he wasn't in the in the squad at all. He opted for O'Nine on the left of defence, partnering uh, Danny Bart and Bailey Wright. Two wing backs were Patrick Roberts and Gooch. Two in the middle were Embleton and Evans, which I think a lot of people expected because we're seeing Embleton's probably his best position in the team is probably as a deep lying playmaker, really. But in games like this, where you're expected to dominate the ball, that's where you would see him in the team. Uh, just ahead of him was Alex Pritchard. I think it was his first start in a while. And then obviously Ross Stewart and Broadhead up top. Were you happy with that? 
Yeah, very much so, Gav. Yeah, we did the live Twitter space yesterday before the game, and I said that it, I hoped he would go for a team selection that was closer to what he'd gone for against Cambridge, i.e. a little bit less physicality, a little bit more spark, a little bit more creativity. And Because I felt that against Rotherham, he just tilted the balance a little bit too far towards physicality and trying to match him up, get involved in a bit of a slugfest. Um, and yesterday, I, I, I felt that he got it right, and it was good to see the likes of um, M. Button, as you said, come back into the team. It's good to see Pritchard there as well. I just feel that the blend was right yesterday and that there was a good balance. You mentioned Danny Bart there. And I think he's, since he's come back into the team, I think he's turned in quite a number of good performances, actually. I think he's mm-hmm. looking a bit like the same. Because remember when he, when he made his debut against Portsmouth and um, he looked really, really good. And then he had a bit of a dip in form. The Bolton game was a bad one for him. And then you know, obviously he's come back into the team and he's do, he's doing really well. So that's a good sign for the playoffs. And I thought, I have to say, it, you know, and, and I'm quite surprised I'm saying this, but I think Corey Evans has completely won me over. And I dare say he might have won a lot of the doubters over as well because, again, I felt yesterday he was solid, he was efficient, he brought the play up quite nicely. And he's evolved into a real leader, Gav, which I've been very surprised about. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised as well, you know, because I felt that he was a bit too timid at times a couple of months back, but he's really emerged now. So, yeah, I thought the team selection was good and I thought there was lots of good individual performances yesterday. It's interesting what you say there about Corey Evans. He's became integral in Alex Neal, really, hasn't he, Chris? He's stuck by him through some bad form. And like Phil says, he's been great recently. I don't I don't think he was particularly brilliant against Rotherham, but nobody was. But I think in the on the whole, he has improved and like Phil says, he's became a, a proper leader. And you hear the other players talk about him. Bailey Wright loves him. I've heard him talk about him after games. Uh, Alex Neal always makes a point to talk about him and his leadership qualities. And I suppose it it's probably a reminder to fans that we there's a lot we don't know about these players as people and characters and, and all the rest of it. And he's obviously very important and that experience he's got at a higher level is being drawn upon now. And to be fair to Evans, this is probably the first time in a good few years where he's had a consistent run of games where he's stayed fit and he's actually played a part in something because that was the thing that Blackburn fans said, right? They said, you know, he's all right, yeah, but he's never fit. Where now you're seeing he's being managed... I think his game time was managed the other week, wasn't it? When he he purposely left him out of the team, um, which played I think was was it midweek? I can't remember, but he, he left him out to keep him fresh for a, for another game. And yeah, that that's a sign that he's important to the manager, isn't it? It is, it is. And and I didn't quite get the the fume earlier in the season when it came to Corey Evans. To be honest, I mean because we were playing a different way under Lee Johnson, and everyone expected people to pull off passes like Dan Neil was pulling off, or Embleton was pulling off, or you know, those sort of players. And, and that was never his game. And what he did was he he broke the play up nicely. And every time, every so often he gave the ball away and everyone kind of went crazy at him because he, the rest of them were playing this different football and he was giving it easy. So I, I didn't think he was, you know, his form wasn't fantastic, but I don't think he was that bad earlier in the season. But but he, he's hugely important now because if you look at the midfielders we've got, I mean, he played alongside Elliot Embleton and let's face it, you know, Elliot Embleton's a fantastic player with the ball at his feet. But, you know, without the ball, he's not going to be that engine in the middle of midfield. He's not going to kind of go in and win the 50-50s. And Corey Evans is, is vital to just stay in that position. He just has to stay put in front of that back three. And he does that job brilliantly. I mean, even when he plays in there with uh, Matete, I mean, Matete is kind of all over the shop. He's a proper box-to-box. You know, he can be at any place at any time on the pitch and uh, we need Corey Evans just to sit in front of that back three and 
you can tell Alex Neil loves him. I mean, just on that Embleton starting eleven choice, uh, Phil, that you mentioned. I mean, talking about that control performance, Elliot Embleton was was kind of vital to to putting a foot on the ball and and keeping hold of the ball for us. I mean, that's exactly what he was in there for to to get the ball, slow it down, keep it, and and just kind of make sure we we keep possession. And I was going to say as well, you pulled out Danny Bath. It was a perfect matchup for Danny Bath at the at the back because uh, against Cole Stockton, that was exactly the type of striker that uh, Bath wants to play against. He, he just stood behind yeah. him and went, you're not going anywhere. And every time the ball came up for Stockton, he was just giving him a nudge, knocking him over, making sure he knew he was there. So it was a perfect game for Danny Bath. And uh, that's the type of type of striker he, he, he wants to play against. But the other thing I was going to quickly say in terms of Ebelton and Pritchard, I might try and have a look later, but it'd be interesting how many times they've played in the starting 11 together. So it was quite nice to to have them in the in the starting lineup together, and um, and I thought they did well in in controlling the game. That was the debate a few weeks ago, wasn't it? It was like Pritchard was injured. Where did Embleton yeah. fit into the team? We're saying that now. Yeah. He's found it's not in that number ten position. It never will be. While mm. Pritchard's in the team, it's likely to be where we've found him now, and that's in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And I think that what I think what Alex Neil has done, you know, he's kind of it's taken a bit of persistence and a bit of time, but he finally seems to have kind of shaped Embleton into the player that Neil feels he can be. Um, and, you know, we've got our options in, in midfield are plentiful. You know, we've got, obviously, we've got Jeva Tete who can come on. We've also got Dan Neil, who's obviously a very gifted footballer. He's an option as, as well. So in the engine room, we are well stocked. But at this moment in time, I think everything kind of pivots around Corey Evans. I think he is, as Chris said, I think he's kind of that anchor, that real solid presence in the midfield around which everybody else can play He'll do the dirty work and he can lay the platform for others to do their thing as well. So, yeah, I think we've got good options there. And that is very encouraging ahead of yeah, the playoffs, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, I was just going to say quickly for on, on, on those good options. I mean, they're all different kinds of players. Yeah. We've got a midfield full of players who not one of them are the same type. We haven't got two of the same type. I mean, you could argue Embleton and Pritchard are similar, but I still think they're, Pritchard's a bit more dynamic than that Embleton is on the pitch. But like that, that conundrum with Dan Neil, I mean, for me, it's clear that, uh, you know, Alex Neil's mentioned in press conferences a couple of times the average age of the team when he first came in. And I just think he just doesn't trust Dan Neil to be in there, you know, on on his own, especially when he plays in a two like that. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see what what role Dan Neil plays in the playoffs. Well, I'm sure he's going to be on the bench. I just can't see Alex Neil throwing him in for for any of these playoff games, to be honest. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. No, no, not, not when you consider his selection since he came in. He's played everyone but Dan Neil, hasn't he? So it's yeah, and that'll frustrate a lot of people. I know it will, but you've got to see at the same time what he's doing's working. We're picking up the results. Oh, absolutely, we're grinding results. That was always the big thing for me coming into the playoffs. It was like, yes, we have to win games, but it's it's what we do and how we do it and how mentally we actually take ourselves into these games. And for me. It's been a lot about managing the games and not so much about the the style. And that's why Dan Neal hasn't fit in. It's not to say he will never fit in under Alex Neal. I think he will. I think come the summer, regardless of what league we're in, there are going to be teams interested in Dan Neal. But I think yeah. I think he's you know, he's and he's gonna be after assurances from the manager, am I gonna be playing? But he'll be a lot wiser from having not only played quite a lot this season and experienced all of the highs, but also having to deal with not being in the team and having to prove himself all over again to yeah. the manager. He'll have learned a lot from that and that's invaluable experience that he's not going to really get anywhere else, I don't think. So to me, you can't really complain with what he's done. There was a there was a time, wasn't there, a few weeks ago 
or maybe a month or so ago when 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 Evans wasn't playing very well and people were screaming and I, I was one of them saying I would bring Neil back in. People wanted to see him in his place and he stuck with Evans, like I said, and you can't really fault that decision because it's been we've seen the evidence of it. You know, we're seeing in the performances that he has become very important to how he wants us to play. Yeah. So I'm not going to argue with anything that Alex Neil does because it works. It might not be pretty, but it's effective. I think it's an interesting debate as well, isn't it? Because we always want a Sunderland manager to have the courage of his convictions regarding player selection and not to be swayed by what external noise. Mm. But at the same time, we also all love Dan Neil and we want him to get game time. So it's a bit of a conundrum there. But at the end of the day, as you said, Gav, you know, it's not. You can be pro Dan Neil and pro Alex Neil at the same time. It's just an observation that we've got a very good footballer in Dan Neil, who maybe isn't as getting as much game time as a lot of us would like, but Alex Neil's decisions are being vindicated. So yeah, that, that, that it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition there, without a doubt. Yeah, and we're we're gonna have this until you know, even after the after everything's been said and done, and we're, we're analysing the season, people are gonna say, well, he should have played him more, and it is what it is. Like I say, yeah. you you can you can only look at the teams he's putting out there and. Say that whatever he's doing is working, and it was the same on Saturday. If we go back to the game, you know, I think I think Evans actually registered the assist for the goal, didn't he? So there's another thing that we're saying. He was saying, I think he got an assist the other week as well. But the goal itself, we haven't actually really talked about. I'll go to you on this, Chris Broadhead's goal. People listening won't know this, but I, I didn't manage to actually get to the game. I was down in London for a rugby match, so I was watching it on my phone. Little tiny screen. There was four of us crowded around it, <laughs> and um. All we talked about after that goal for about 10 minutes was just how good Broadhead is. Mm. Like he's, he's got, I wouldn't say he's a Premier League striker, but you can see the environment he's came up in and you've, he's just got something about money. I mean, when you see like Jack Clark come on, no disrespect to Jack Clark because, you know, he is what he is, but that's a player who cost £10 million for Spurs and he is so far ahead of him. Like he's he is quality, Nathan Broadhead. But the reason that he's probably at Sunderland and not in the championship is because he's made of batty and he really is like, he's injured again. He's injured again and it's, I don't want to like caveat the great goal he scored by talking about his injury issues, but like, it was a great finish, wasn't it? It was a great goal. It was, it reminded us of uh, the goal at, um, at Ipswich uh, where he was playing off the last man and the ball was kind of slid through to him and he, and he mm. always does that step. He always puts the centre half off by doing that step to go one way to come back for the ball and then when the ball's played through, he's in on goal. And you saw the he completely sold the Morecambe centre-half. The centre-half just came charging out, thinking that Broadhead was going to get it to feet and come backwards. And he just took the ball and took it into his stride. And exactly the same as Ipswich, just, just slotted it away. But the, but the thing is, I mean, the difference between Clark and, and Broadhead, I mean, like you said, just on that, that, it, you know, moving up the leagues, Clark, you, you can probably tell with more time on the ball, Will be will be a better player because I think League One, you know, not many teams further up will kind of crowd them out like happens in League One, the Championship. But Broadhead, Broadhead's perfect for this level of football because he's direct. He wants to get in behind. He wants to take one touch and he wants to just run towards goal. He's got one thing on his mind when he gets the ball, Nathan Broadhead. But but further up, you know, when you go into the Premier League, you say he might he might struggle because you do, you don't see defenses defend like Morgan did. They, I mean, when when he got the ball. They were too. They were too high up. The the centre half sold himself, and as soon as he sold himself, he was he was clean through. You don't see many Premier League strikers going clean through from kind of twenty yards out, like like happened there. 
And he's perfect mm. for this level. He's always on the, the front foot. He always wants the ball in behind. And it's perfect because you saw the difference after 25 minutes. We were looking to get the ball in behind. Stewart wanted it there. Broadhead wanted it there. And then suddenly after 25 minutes, half an hour, I know we were 1-0 up, which changes things from the kind of mentality point of view. But we seemed to sit in a bit more. We didn't seem to like stretch the play as we were doing with Broadhead up front. And I just, I just hope he's fit. I mean, you were saying he was at the Everton game against Chelsea. So I hope that means he's he's all right. But uh, I think he's vital for the playoffs. I mean, everyone, I think, will say the same because he just gives us that something different that we haven't had. But every time he plays, every time he goes down, you just think, oh, how many weeks? Yeah, I know. How many I days? Know. <laughs> What's the shame? I know, I know. And hopefully we'll find out some good news in the coming days about that. It is what it is. At least we've got till Friday to try and get him, try and get him sorted. But... He he isn't he is that important now. Like his goals have he's scored nearly every game he's played since he came back. He's he's yeah. vital to this team. Especially when um Ross Stewart hasn't been scoring as much. You know, you, you you're looking at Broadhead and you're saying, Well, you can probably see why. Stewart does all the donkey work and he occupies defenders and Broadhead gets to do what you just said, Chris, he gets to go in behind. After that though, Phil, the game wasn't exactly eventful and I think as we've said, it wasn't a great game of football for anybody, never mind people who are fans of these teams. But I, I, I want to pick on some of the, the sort of substitutions and things like that. It was interesting, wasn't it, that Ross Stewart was removed from the pitch being the only striker. That Obviously, in the back of Alex Neal's mind was that we've taken off Broadhead through injury. Also, you know, we've got a lot of games coming up, potentially two big ones in quick succession and Ross Stewart has become that important obviously we not only have no other options but he is looking tired later in games all of a sudden so yeah it was interesting though to see him come off as early as he did for once and Pritchard as well came off yeah I mean I think it was smart management Gav to be honest with you I mean obviously Neil felt comfortable enough that the game was going to be you know won fairly comfortably without any without any you know the need for any last ditch drama and as you've said, you know, Pritchard and, and, and Stewart are going to be two absolutely key players yeah. against Sheffield Wednesday. So I think, you know, I think basically Alex Neal's kind of mantra yesterday was let's win the game with as little effort as we can possibly expend. You know, let's not run ourselves ragged. Let's not put the players at the, any risk of injury if we don't need to. Let's just get through the game, maximum output through minimal effort. And let's move on to Sheffield Wednesday. So yeah, I thought the substitutions were were um, were fairly smart. To be honest with you, you know, he, Neil knows how important Stewart is, and he knows how important Pritchard is as well. You know, so he's not going to take any undue risks with them. So yeah, I wasn't surprised to see that, Gav. To be honest with you, interesting to see McGeady back, Chris, wasn't it, on the bench? I know he didn't get on, but um, <laughs> that's a little teaser of what could be to come, isn't it? They've, they've obviously looked at it and went. Right, he's probably got twenty minutes in him at some point in one of these games if we need him. You know, it, I don't think he'll start. I don't think he's played. He's obviously one. He's too old now. Two, he hasn't kicked the ball in. I can't even remember the last time he played. But at the same time, how much time do you really need to give McGeady? You know, the type of things he can do on the ball. That little bit of magic you do need sometimes from the bench. He could provide it in these playoff games. Yeah, I was. I was really surprised. I was a bit shocked that he was on the bench. I know that the, the press conference, uh, Alex Neil talked about him and said, you know, he'd been out on the training pitch and he'd been, well, doing normal training. He was back to training. And I know that one of the guys in the, mm-hmm. from the press was saying, you know, he was twisting and turning and doing things you'd expect from someone who's kind of um, back to, to full training. So 
and Alex Neil, he, Phil's touched on it as well. He's not, you know, he wasn't taking any risks, you know, in terms of his team selection and who he brought off and, you know, keeping things safe. So from from my point of view, I'm thinking, well, Alex Neil wouldn't take a risk putting a half-fit Aidan McGeady on the bench. Alex Neil would only put him on the bench if he thinks he's fit enough. So that must mean he's in a place where actually he's he's ready to get a get back on the pitch and, and you know, get some game time. So... Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I mean, you, you can picture it, you know, last 10 minutes, we'll get a free kick or something like that. Let's make a quick change on the end, you know, stick McGeady on for, for the last 10 minutes. But, uh, but yeah, I was I was, I was, was surprised by that. And um, I just hope he gets some sort of swan song at the, at the end in the playoffs. Because um, to be fair, I mean, in previous campaigns, when we got to the playoffs at times, it was kind of one-man team in some games. McGeady kind of getting us through and mm-hmm. getting us to the playoffs and that. So... Yeah. Nice, nice to get him, give him a good send off, and hopefully he gets a last kind of uh, epic minute where he we produces something. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Invaluable experience, I would say, Phil. Would you agree? Just that what Chris has said there with the the goals he scored in playoffs for us. Yeah, I would say I I, I think so. Um, I think it's a bit maybe a little bit far fetched to suggest that he might be the playoff hero for us. It could happen, of course. You know, we all know that anything can happen in these playoff games. Strange things can happen, you know, things can unfold, etc. Maybe he does still have that capacity to whip that good ball in, you know, to maybe produce that one moment. I don't necessarily think he's going to play a massive role in these playoff games because I, I, I don't think we've struggled for creativity in his absence, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that he, you know, it has allowed other players to come through. The thing you get with McGeady is you get that big game mentality. You know, you, he's not going to be phased by going down to Hillsborough in the second leg, for example. There'll be 30-odd thousand there. That's not going to phase McGeady at all if he's involved. And maybe that might rub off on some of his more inexperienced teammates. So in that sense, he could play a part. So as Chris said, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds without a doubt. Just quickly on that, the, the, the timing that he's he's come back as well. I mean, if you if Broadhead has taken a big knock and he's struggling, Stuart, you know, Stuart, I, I noticed when he came off, Alex Neil was asking him, looking down at his knee or something like that. And, you know, you hope he's fully fit, but... You know, with some of these players going into the games with a slight knock and you've got a player like McGeady coming back, which is an attacking player who can produce something and all that, then, you know, we've got all these players, but if a couple are just half fit and it's nice to have that option just to, to say, right, well, if they need to come off, he can have 10 minutes and, and have a go at it. Yeah, one last step over, cutting inside, top bins, <laughs> and just <laughs> silencing the Hillsborough crowd next week. That'll be nice. Uh, speaking of which, we might as well quickly touch on these games. I know we're going to preview them probably more extensively later in the week. Um, but, I mean, Chef Wed, I don't think it mattered who we got really, did it, Chris? Looking at these games, like all these teams are good. MK Dons absolutely battered Plymouth. And that's a team we, we struggled well, we didn't struggle against, but we, I would, it wasn't a, it wasn't as convincing. Let's put it that way. Um, Chef Wed, a team who we've battered, they've beat us quite handsomely. Um, the other teams in there, obviously Wickham, are a difficult team who haven't lost a lot recently. It didn't really matter, did it? Who we got? I think we're going to have a hard game regardless. Yeah, well, I, I live I live near Sheffield, and I was talking to two. Sheffield Wednesday season ticket holders this morning. Um, it was quite quite interesting talking to them. But uh, but actually, what we were both saying to start with is that we actually well, and and I I said this as well that I wanted to avoid Sheffield Wednesday in the two leg games. If you had to pick one team you might play in the final, I'd have preferred Sheffield Wednesday in the final because that 
you know, you for me, you want two big teams at Wembley to make it a massive game. Um, it's going to yeah. be, I mean, I, obviously, I don't care, I won't care if we go up, but you know, it's that thing that if we play Wickham or MK Dons at Wembley, their end's going to be half full and ours is going to be all full and it's all just a bit weird. But I'd have preferred to play Sheffield Wednesday in the final if you had the choice. But having said that, like I said, I was talking to the Wednesday season ticket holders this morning and they're saying that um, at the moment they're a bit like a machine. It sounds like, you know, what we're saying about Sunderland, they're saying about Sheffield Wednesday. They said they're not blowing teams off the park. Um, they're getting on with it. They're, they're winning games. That They're just solid. And mm-hmm. it, interesting enough, they said that we would see a very different team to the one that we beat 5-0. And I said they would see a very different team than the one they beat 3-0 at Hillsborough. So it, it's strange because they were talking about having no defence when we beat them 5-0. They had loads of injuries. Um, and they just said after we got the first one, heads went down and they, they just kind of gave up at the, at the stadium alike. But they've said they've got their act together and um, and they're looking good at the end of the season. And like I said, I've said um, the, they won't see anything like the Sunderland that they saw at Hillsborough. We're much more solid, much more organised. And I was I was actually down near Hillsborough um, just before kickoff um, at the weekend before I got back and watched, watched the match. And um, I just think with the atmosphere in and around Sheffield with, with Sheffield Wednesday at the minute, they're all upbeat. And I just hope we need a good result. I know it sounds obvious, but we really need a good result in that first leg at, at home. It's not going to yeah. be easy going there to, to get a result. I think Sheffield Wednesday are going to play tight at the Stadium of Light. And um, we, I think we need to really try and go for it and, and take a lead to, to the second leg um, or else we're, yeah. we've got a tough one down here. Yeah, I agree. I think just going off sort of the way we've played against decent teams recently away from home, where we set up to defend, I think we've got to go there with something to cling on to. We've got to go there, and I think we need to we need to at least have two clear goals over them, which yeah. which is it may be difficult um, for people to to see that as a possibility. We don't score a great deal of goals. Um, I was looking briefly at the way they set up. They've got a really good midfield, like yeah. <laughs> Barry Bannon Top sitting class. just in front of Luongo and Baez. Bannon is a, he's a bit like Pritchard in that you can tell he's got top flight quality in him, and yeah. he, I'm noticing a lot more at the minute from just sort of the counts on Twitter that follow the AFL and cover the AFL and sort of the coverage that the AFL. Everybody's talking about Bannon at the minute because he's obviously ran the show, particularly yeah. recently, uh, and Luongo is not a. League One midfielder, he he was a good player at QPR, so it's it's tough. You look at the strikers they've got; they've got Lee Gregory, who's banging them in at the minute. Berahino's finally rediscovered his scoring boots at the wrong time for us. Uh, Jack Hunt's a player who I've thought a lot of for a long time. He's a really good wing back. They're going to be tough to beat. They're going to be tough to break down, and I think they're going to do exactly what you've just said there. I think they're going to come to the stadium light and they're going to sit in and they're going to try and yeah. be organised and. They're going to try and do what a lot of teams have done recently. All they've got to do is watch the tape of the Rotherham game and see exactly how to play against us. I think I just think the difference is uh, between Sheffield and Rotherham is, is they're not a big physical team like Rotherham, but there is a there is a prototype. All Sunderland fans know it. There is a prototype on how to play against Sunderland at the Stadium of Light, isn't it? It's you, you do it. You, you sit in. You graft your ass off. You waste time. And with a big crowd there, they're going to be well up for it, Phil, aren't they? So it's just about oh, how Sunderland do their job. And, and again, what I've just said, we've got to take a, a, a decent lead out of this game, I think. Yeah, I mean, a couple of points to make. I mean, I, I totally agree with what Chris said. In my opinion, this is a game that would grace any final. 
you know, these are two massive clubs for this division. You know, two fervent fan bases, football mad cities. You know, it is it is a game that would grace Wembley at the final. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Sheffield Wednesday. I have to admit, it goes back to the days when they had Benito Carboni and Di Canio and all those Euro mavericks um, in the late 90s. So I've always had a bit of a soft spot for them. Gerald Seabon. Um, yeah, and Vim Yonk and all those yeah, players. Yeah. We could go on and on, couldn't we? Um, but no, I think this is a challenge, a challenge to be embraced, Gavin. That, for me, is the key difference between this playoff campaign and the two previous ones. The two previous playoff campaigns, we've decelerated into them. We've had a bad end of the league season. The form's collapsed. Morale has dipped. And we've kind of gone into the playoffs with a real sense of trepidation. This time, I think something is building. I think there's a real optimism about the team. There's a resilience, as we know about. We've seen that countless times recently. I think Alex Neon will relish the challenge as well. But the other thing as well, Gav, that you mentioned there, I completely agree. We have to take, and this is why, to be honest with you, I think any any team would always prefer the second leg of a playoff to be at home. Because psychologically, you've got that home comfort, haven't you? I completely agree that we need to be trying to take two goals with us down to Hillsborough because they will be backed by an absolutely raucous crowd, which hopefully we will be on Friday as well. I think there'll be a good crowd at the stadium like this week. But when we go down to Yorkshire for the second leg, we know how it's going to be. It's going to be fast, frenetic. They're going to come at us. They'll they'll try and do to us what we hopefully can do to them on Friday night. And I think we've got to take an advantage there. But just one final point. I was actually talking to a Sheffield Wednesday fan on Twitter after the game last night. And he said that he thinks... Whoever wins between us and Sheffield Wednesday will ultimately get promoted. So that was quite an interesting um, an interesting little talking point there. He felt that whoever, whether it's MK Dons or Wickham in the final, he feels that whoever comes out on top of against us on Wednesday, they're going to be the team that gets promoted. And that interested me. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it will be the the amount of fans in Wembley, won't it? Chris said it there. Us and Chef Wed would sell that stadium out on our own. It's yeah. MK Dons and Wickham. I know they're a lot further south, but... You know, just just on that just on that point, I, I Phil's just raised because I I raised a, a similar point on uh, Sky Sports News earlier this week. Uh, oh, we on there. Sky, Chris? You, uh, were you on Sky, Chris? I don't know if anyone saw that. But I I said a similar thing, Phil, to what you've just said about you know that the difference between this time going up into the playoffs rather than dropping off from automatic promotion this time. And I mean, you were talking, we're expecting a big crowd on, on Friday night for the first leg. It'll be interesting to see the difference on Friday night. That, you know, if you compare it to the the um, the first leg against Portsmouth, you know, under Jack oh, yes. Ross. Because I yeah. remember that game being so weird. Thinking, I kept looking around thinking, is this a playoff semi-final? Or is it like, you know, middle of the season in November on a cold Tuesday night or something like that? You know, when yeah. people are a bit flat or... Or whatever, and I couldn't believe that we were kind of that flat for a playoff semi final, and and it was purely because we dropped off, and people were expecting us to be in that top two. It'll be interesting yeah. to see the difference on Friday night to see if what we're talking about being having that you know positivity getting into the playoffs when maybe we we thought we wouldn't to see if that translates into the, a good atmosphere on Friday night, or whether people are coming along expecting that we're we're going to get through in the playoffs and maybe a bit flat, so. I'm looking forward to seeing what the atmosphere is going to be like on Friday night. I hope, like you said, it's bouncing and it's full and it's uh, you know everyone's up for it. Because I mean, if I mean when I was young, think back uh, that Sheffield United game first first year at the stadium. Yeah. Right? I mean the fans, just because of the atmosphere, there was no way we were going to lose that game. And if we can get somewhere near that, then you know surely we'll get a result on Friday night. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I totally agree. And. 
people just need to get the tickets. We need to we need to fill that place out as much as we can. Um, you know, we've we've just said it. This is the most important of the two games because we have a real opportunity to establish a lead, and we've got to go to Hillsborough clinging on to something. I wouldn't want to go there having lost the match. I just don't think that would suit us at all. I I, I would fancy us even if it's a one nil. I would fancy us to go there and defend well. And that's yeah. that's astonishing to say that because for so much of this season we've been terrible defensively, but it's yeah. it's it's been well established now. We 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 are keeping clean sheets. We're a hard team to break down. Doesn't matter who we play, you know. You can point to the the Rotherham game and the Plymouth game is is particularly poor performances against decent teams. But what I would say is is that we still didn't lose those games. We we still came away unscathed, and you know that that is something that's going to play into the minds of the Sheffield Wednesday coaches, manager and players, they're, they're going to know that when they come to Sunderland and play Sunderland, either home or away, we aren't easy to beat. So yeah, people have to come along, get your tickets, grab them, they're, they're cheap enough, I think mine was 20 quid. Get yourself there, because we all sit and we whinge when we, whenever we have to remind ourselves about the fact that Sunderland are in League One, and this is our one opportunity to push them over the line, because... You know, if we get beat and we don't, and we're there this next year, we're gonna be we're gonna be doing all the same crap again, another year in League One, and yeah, yeah, we can't go on the pitch and we can't kick the ball for them, but we can scream and shout and cheer and make it an awful place to play football because I was at Hillsborough for that away game earlier in the season, and their fans were outstanding. They're gonna turn yeah. up for this second leg. We have to do our bit in the first leg. Anyways. After that rant, ramble, whatever it was, we'll uh, we'll love you and leave you, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, fingers crossed when we reconvene next week. We're talking about a Sunderland win at the Stadium of Light, thinking all hopeful ahead of uh, the second leg at Hillsborough. But thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Gav. Thank you very much for everybody's uh, time in listening to us, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.